Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. So it's the first Sabbath of 2015. We turn over the calendar page and begin a new calendar year which is also a new uh, fiscal year for us as we do manage our uh, finances on the calendar year. And I thought what I would do for the Sabbath today is share with you our vision and strategy. This is a presentation that we made to the board about a month ago because we are making a significant change in strategy. And that that change has financial implications. And so we needed to present the change in strategy to the board, explain the financial implications of the strategy to the board, and it's their responsibility to ensure that we are using the tithes and offerings in accordance with our mandate. And so they needed to look at the financial implications and and see that it is, in fact, a sound strategy financially, which they, in fact, did do. So after it was a three-hour meeting with the board, uh, followed by a a three-and-a-half-hour meeting of the board themselves, and they finally came to a decision to approve a revised version of our budget, which did not compromise our strategy. So we were still able to go forward with the strategy that we envisioned. So what I'd like to do is share with you uh, what I shared with them or what we shared with them, and then just give a little bit of biblical rationale to what we're doing and why we're doing. And I think since we're a smaller group today, uh, feel free to stop me, ask questions, and let's talk. And I will say as well that this will have implications for our congregational roadmap. So we did start this congregation a couple of years ago with a roadmap, which was great. We had a vision for our congregation. We had a strategy. Um, That needs to align itself with now this strategy for Canada. So all of the Canadian ministry have come together, and collectively we've worked, put in literally hundreds of man hours between us and the board, to craft out this new new approach. So I'll share with you where we are today, what our vision is, what the strategy is, and then I'll talk a little bit about the budget, but that was more for the, for the board. They had to understand the financial implications of what we are doing. So first, current state. I, I think it's uh, no secret that the Church of God is aging. And our congregation is unusual in terms of the number of young people that we have. About half our congregation, you know, if we're full, say, 30 people, half the congregation are young people, youth between the ages of, say, 12 and 22 in that bracket. Uh, That's unusual. Even larger congregations than us are missing this, this bracket. We have a lot of children. We have adults. But it seems like that middle demographic of the youth, as soon as they come of age, they leave. And, and I think we have ourselves to blame. You know, I think we, there's some self-reflection that's required here. The Church of God as a whole, while we may have done a pretty good job in evangelizing and bringing new people in, we've done a terrible job of retaining our young people. And, and we're paying the price now as we go from congregation to congregation, in some cases, the youngest person in in a congregation is in their 60s. 
So, so the youth of the congregation are in their 60s. And, and people are, they're dying. They are becoming uh, unable to function. Some of us are in nursing homes. Uh, so, you know, the, the Church of God movement is basically moving into nursing homes or the graveyard. We've done it to ourselves. So this is just a reality. Uh, we're, we're all getting older. And, and we're not attracting young people. We don't, we don't have many congregations where young people are coming in and we see that, that refueling of the church. This is alarming. And this is concerning. We, we should be concerned just on demographics alone. The second concern we have, and there's, there's four, so the second of four, is our financial weakness. So as an organization, we basically run at about 300 350,000 just under. And I call that petty cash. We have a petty cash account. So we're running a national organization on petty cash. Uh, we can't do much. So, so that's volume. Now, people will say, Christ fed the multitudes with two fish and five loaves. That's true. So Christ can do something, even though we don't have much. Uh, but there are other things that exasperate this condition. But some of the other churches of God in Canada are multi-million dollar organizations. Now, to be fair, some of these use extortion to get tithes and offerings. They threaten people, they bully people, they force people, force brethren to tithe. Uh, We don't do that. It's completely voluntary. But people do vote with their dollars. And, And we know of people in CGI that regularly attend CGI, but send their tithes to other organizations. Simply because they see these other organizations doing something that they consider valuable. uh, And they don't see CGI doing that. And and so, as we diminish financially, there's less we can do. And as we do less, there's less confidence that people have in what we're doing. And so the more they send their money elsewhere. So this is a serious, you know, at this level, and I don't want to be alarmist, but this, this is a, at the level where an organization can easily go out of existence. Just sort of keep this up. And people will say, well, maybe we were, we were up last year. Up last year is a hiccup. What we need to look at is over a 10-year spread, where were we, where are we now, and then draw a line. And that's the trend line. We need to reverse that. Another big, big, big issue is a lack of a shared vision. If, even in this, well, let's say in a congregation, I think here we, we did start the congregation and we came together with a shared vision. Highly unusual. We go to congregation by congregation, get, give everybody a slip of paper and say, write down on that paper what you believe the vision for, for CGI Canada is and then hand in the papers and then let's play a game. Let's try to see how many papers match. I would, if I was a betting man, I would wager a bet that not one of them would match. And we could, we could repeat that across Canada. We, just, we haven't done a good job of formulating a vision, articulating it, and then making sure that everybody has bought into it. So without a shared vision, what does the scripture say? Without vision, the people perish. So this is a, a major problem. And then the fourth major problem, we have not had local eldership in every congregation. 
So many congregations, and again, this congregation is unusual because we began from the beginning with Pastor Murray as our pastor. A lot of congregations have gone for years, maybe almost decades, without any oversight, any ministerial oversight. As a result of that, trying to introduce ministerial oversight after they've run for so long without any, there's resistance to leadership. And so, again, if we're trying to do something significant together and people are resisting leadership, that presents a major challenge. So, aging demographic, financial weakness. Then we said there was um, this lack of shared vision. We were not all seeing the same thing and going after the same vision, and then resistance to leadership. Not a great combination, but that's the reality of where we are. It's not all bad news. So, so to me, that's very, very bad news, but it's not all bad news. The good news is, we really have something. CGI really has something that's special. And, and you know, somebody who's been to a lot of Church of God organizations, all the major ones, I've seen them, I've, I've fellowshiped with them, and then CGI was the last one that I came to. And I had very, very low expectations. And I've got to say, I was surprised. I was surprised. There, there is something in CGI, and across the board, I think in almost every CGI congregation I've been to, there, there's a freedom here that brethren are treated as adults. You know, we don't have people monitoring you and, and for, forcing you to comply with, with the will of someone on high. No, you're a Christian. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You're an adult. You're mature. You make your own decisions. There's liberty in Christ, and I think that, that's very clear here in CGI. We also have, and, and that creates culture, and we also have, or building, we're building, plurality of eldership. And we don't see this in the other churches of God. And without plurality, you get arrogance. It's easy for somebody, you know, I'm the minister, I must be important, and if there's no check and balance, Satan takes advantage of me and can shipwreck the whole congregation. So we're putting in place plurality so that no one person becomes or sees themselves as more important than they are. There's someone there to check and balance, and that's unique. And so that creates a culture that sets us apart. And I think most anybody who comes to CGI realizes, wow, this is better than I thought. So there's this sort of secret. Uh, I, I heard somebody describe us as the best-kept secret. We've got to stop doing that. We, we need to let people know we're here, that we're an option, we're a viable option, and when they come, they experience what all of us have experienced here in the church. So we want to change that, and that's part of our vision. So I want to share with you the vision for 2025. So it's 2015 now. We're saying in 10 years, this is our vision. This, this is what we want to become in 10 years. This is where we're going. And we want to make it so simple that when you hear it once, you don't need to hear it again. And that across the country, we can stop any CGI member and say, what's the vision? And they'll say, it's a 10-year vision. It's a 9-year vision. It's a 5-year vision. We're going to get there in another year. 2025, here's the vision. The first part, 
We call it best in class. Best in class. And this relates specifically to the ministry. The whole church needs to be best in class. But we can't say to you, be best in class, and we're not ourselves. So this is something we're pointing at ourselves, and we're looking at the history of the church, and we're saying, you know what? The ministry has not done well. When we look at the history of the church of God, most brethren have been abused by the ministry. And most brethren have a resentment, or at at least at, at minimum, a suspicion of the ministry. And that's our fault. So if we're going to turn this around, if we're going to turn this around and and build a church that is successful, that people love being a part of, that people fully support, let's not point fingers. Let's look at ourselves. We were talking about self-evaluation, self-examination. Let's start with the ministry. And in order to make sure that the flock is strong, let's be strong ourselves. Let's be an example to the flock. So best in class is our focus, that in 10 years, in 2025, the brethren in Canada, across the board, will be proud of the ministry. They'll have a loving relationship with the ministry. They'll trust the ministry. They'll be, they'll be really um, anxious and, and desire, desirous to tell somebody, come to my congregation. Come to my church. You've got to be a part of our congregation. Just come for one visit. Because I can't fully articulate to you what it's like. You have to come and experience it, right? That's what we want. We have to start with us. Look at James 1. James 1. And beginning in verse 16... He says this, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Don't make a mistake here. Get this right. Don't err. Don't make a mistake here, my beloved. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So, let's just establish that. That God is a giver. And every good and perfect gift comes from God. And in God, there's no variableness. He says, you sons of Jacob are not consumed because I don't change. God does not change. In terms of his commitment to his people. When God has a covenant, we can take it to the bank. God will never go back on his covenant. So he has a commitment to us, and it doesn't vary. And because of that commitment, he gives us gifts. Now let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. With this in mind, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Ephesians 4 and verse 1. says this, Ephesians 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, the Apostle Paul speaking, I'm begging you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. 
In other words, you should be best in class. So this is a very high calling. You should walk in this calling according to the calling. If this is the highest calling, then your walk should be the highest. When you're on the street interacting with people, they should see you as best in class. That's what this is saying. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. So best in class doesn't mean arrogance. Best in class doesn't mean pride. It's not, a, it's not a carnal appeal. Jesus Christ was best in class. And yet he was the humblest man. He sacrificed himself for us. So, so best in class means be like Christ. Forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. This, this is what it means to walk worthy of our vocation. There's one body and one spirit even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So remember we said that every good gift is from above. So there's one God who is above all, and every good gift comes from him. And, and the, 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 what this directive here is, we must be best in class. We must work worthy of this calling. Verse 7, but... So one, 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 but. So we're going to change the theme now. We're going, to, we're going to move away from one. One calling, one hope, one destiny, one God, but. We're moving away from one. But unto every one of us is given grace. So it doesn't matter how many of us there are, every single one of us is given grace. So there's one calling, but there's grace to everybody according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So the gifts come from above. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, and there's one calling, but every one of us are given gifts from above. Good and perfect gifts. Wherefore, he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So his first order of business when he returned to heaven was to give gifts to men. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. What are these gifts? What are these gifts that he gives to men? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. This is God's doing. This, this isn't man's doing. This is God's doing. And so the ministry, pastors and teachers, are meant to be gifts to the brethren. Every good and every perfect gift comes from God. We have to return to this foundation. It can't be that God gives a perfect gift, a good gift from above, and somehow that gift ends up abusing you. Something went wrong. Because if it's from God, it, there's no way it can be abusing you. So we have not been best in class. If we, if we are best in class, we become that good and that perfect gift. So the fact that we are best in class means we can operate according to God's will. And what's God's will? That you work, walk, work, walk worthy of your vocation. 
So the way that you are empowered to walk worthy of your vocation is by God giving these good and perfect gifts who are the ministry. So the ministry are here to empower you to walk worthy of your vocation. Because why? There's one God. There's one calling. But there are many brethren, and grace is given to all of us. So all of us have gifts, but those gifts have to be stirred and empowered through the working of the Spirit. And and God tells us here, he works through the ministry. He gives us the ministry to empower us with our gifts so that we can walk worthy of this vocation. Verse 12, why is the ministry given? Why are they considered gifts? That, That it's the first order of business that God gives these gifts. Why? For oppression? No. For abuse? No. For the perfecting of the saints. You have a very high calling, and you are commanded to walk worthy of that calling. But that takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. And so there's this process now that we're all engaged in called perfecting. So God is perfecting us over time, and that's the work of the ministry. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry. So this is very interesting. The saints have a work of ministry. You should be walking worthy of your calling. You should be empowered by the grace, the gift that's within you. You should be ministering. But you're not equipped to minister just like that. It takes time. It takes guidance. So God gives these gifts that he calls pastors and teachers. We've got the apostles and the prophets in the word of God. And now, 2,000 years later, or thousands of years later, we have pastors and teachers who expound the words of the apostles and the prophets. So between the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and the teachers, we are perfecting the saints so that you can do the work of ministry. It's an empowering process not a disempowering process. So you can do the work of ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. So as you're perfected, not only can you do the work of ministry, you can also edify the body of Christ. So Christ comes down to earth, sacrifices himself, returns to heaven, gives these good gifts from heaven in the form of men who are pastors and teachers, who expound the words of the apostles and the prophets so that the gift of grace that's given to you can be stirred up so that you can be empowered to do the work of ministry and to edify the body, to edify the church. It's a process. Until we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together or expertly expertly joined together and then compacted by that which Every joint supplies. Every joint. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part. So that gift has been stirred up in you so that you can work effectually. 
Every part is effective in the body unto the edifying of itself in love. But it begins with the ministry. If the ministry is ineffective, if, if we get up and we don't know how to expound the word of God, this, this is a very different age than 50 years ago. 50 years ago, I could stand up and preach and say, Thayer's lexicon says, and everybody would be, whoa, what is Thayer's lexicon? Never heard of that. And I could have a Bible study and have big, thick books on the table that you don't have access to. And I could look like an expert. Today we have something called fact-checking. That anything anybody says, people just open up their smartphone and say, that's not true. Right there instantly. So the members have as access to as much, if not more, information than the ministry. Members can know their Bible better than the ministry, especially if the ministry is lazy. So this is a very different dynamic than 50 years ago. We have to be best in class. We have to be, we have to be spiritually endowed to teach you, to edify you, so that you can grow into the maturity of Christ. And it's not about information. It's about the working of the Holy Spirit. So, so we, if we're going to turn around, you know, when, when, when um, Israel went through that period of restoration, they began with the altar. That's where they started. We have to restore true worship. We have to restore a true relationship with God. Then they built the wall. So first the altar, then the wall. That's what we're doing now. First the altar. We have to focus on the ministry in order to strengthen the brethren. That's what Ephesians 4 shows us. Look at Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 4. And we'll see this concept of best in class at work even as far back as ancient Israel. When God established the nation and was asking them then to go into the promised land and as they go into the promised land to be best in class. This is is the way God operates. God has very high standards and expects his people to operate with high standards. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 5 says, Behold, I have taught you my statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, this is Moses speaking, that you should do so in the land where you go to possess it, the promised land. Keep therefore and do them. This is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. This nation is best in class. We have a class of nations, but this nation is best in class. And how did they become best in class? Because God gives gifts from above, perfect and good gifts, which came through Moses to teach them how to be best in class so that the whole world would be blessed by seeing them in a leadership role. We have to see ourselves in this leadership role as well. And, you know, I love the church. Don't get me wrong. But I'll say this. The church is a disaster. I hope you don't take that the wrong way. We have failed God. For all that he has given us, we have failed him. I'm seeing church of God across the board. 
So we're saying, you know what, CGI, we have something. We need to take a leadership role. We need to set the example. We need to provoke others to love and good works. We need other Church of God organizations to look at us and say, they're doing something right. What is it that they're doing? We need to be like that. Yes, sir. So you said a couple of things there, and I agree with most of it. Um, Satan is getting better in terms of distracting mankind. There's the, the more technology we have, the more distraction we have. You know, people spend pe- people spend their whole lives in front of us, one screen or another, whether it's the television screen, their tablet, their laptop, their phone. They're plugged in all the time, and that plugging in half the time is an erosion of mental activity. We're walking zombies, right? Satan's got us distracted. There's always something flashing on the screen to distract us and hypnotize us. Whereas our ancestors, who are on the farm, and maybe while they're cutting hay or whatever, they're actually thinking. Their brain is actually active. Our brains are not active the way theirs were. Uh, Just let me finish this one thought, John, and then... So, yes, I think you're right. There is a decline. However, when we read the scriptures... What we see is, because of God's faithfulness to his covenant, there is always a faithful remnant, always. No matter how bad things got, God always reserved the right and preserved for himself a group of people who were on fire, who were committed, who no matter what everybody else did, they were committed to God. So, so I think there's always going to be a faithful remnant because of the working of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And then there's one other thing I was going to say is, yes, preaching Christ and Christ crucified. Uh, Charles Spurgeon did a great work, wonderful. He didn't have the truth. Christ and Christ crucified is not the gospel. We must preach the gospel. It's a part of the gospel. It's a significant part of the gospel, but it's not the gospel. And it's part of how Satan has deceived the world, to focus on Christ and Christ crucified and miss the whole story. So, so we have to preach the gospel. Yes. 
we, we do need a focus. And also what you said, which I agree with, Ray, and this is why this is a 10-year vision. The year 2025, and I'll say this to our, young, our youth, the year 2025, the world is going to be different. It's not like when we were growing up and over you know, a 10, 20-year period, the world is more or less the same. A couple of new gadgets come on the market. The world is going to dramatically change in 10 years. And we need to make sure that when it does, we're preaching the gospel fully. And, and when life is going to not be so sophisticated, we feel very sophisticated right now. I, I'm, I'm predicting that it's going to become very primitive. And, and people are just going to want to focus on the simple things. And the message of why you were born is going to mean something to people. Because running after riches is not going to be so significant. Maybe it's 10, maybe it's 20 years. But in, in the near future, in the very f- near future, all of this wealth and gadgetry is not going to mean as much to people as it does today. Brother John. That's part, that, that's part of the gospel. We don't know. No, no man knows. Right. What we're saying is our vision is by 2025, we need to be a ministry that's best in class in order to create congregations that are best in class. And it's going to matter because people are going to be looking for truth. And, and the scripture says uh, in the New Testament, Christ says, a city... Matthew 5, actually, let's go there. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So it's God's intention to set us on a hill. We we can't be the best kept kept secret. We need to be a city on a hill. People need to know about us. They need to know what we teach. They need to come and experience what it's like to be with us and see, like, wow. Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. In other words, I have set you on a hill. Stop hiding. Stop being a secret. Let people know that you're here. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it gives light unto all that are in the house. So we have to give light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your best in class. They may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. This is um, taken from a blog post from Kathy Kreiner Phillips. I don't know if you know the name. Kathy Kreiner Phillips. She's Canadian. She won the Olympic gold medal in 1976. In 1976, she stood on the Olympic podium and they played the Canadian national anthem in her honor. As, she, as they placed the gold medal around her neck, 
And this was in Innsbruck, Austria. And Canadians all over the world were filled with joy. She had just skied her way into history. Today, she's a practicing sports psychologist who acts as a mental trainer for world-class athletes, so best-in-class athletes. And she motivates people in all walks of life to strive for excellence. She says Olympic gold may not be for everyone, but excellence is. It's her view that everybody can strive for excellence. We have the truth of God. God says to us, you're a city that's set on a hill. We should be striving for excellence. She says here four key points that she trains. Number one, dream big. Excellence always begins with a vision. Excellence always begins with a vision. Without, we have no shared vision. How can we be excellent? We're going to be mediocre. With a shared vision, a big vision, we can be excellent. So what we're saying is, we want to be best in class. We want to take a leadership role. We want other churches to look at us and say, that's how we should be. We want to provoke others to love and good works. So this young lady, or a young lady at the time, she actually saw a lady, a skier called Nancy Green. And the excellence that she saw in Nancy Green as a young girl inspired her. So Nancy Green was a Canadian skier. And she saw Nancy Green perform and said, I want to do that. I, I want to go for the gold as a 12-year-old when she saw this. So that's what excellence does. It inspires others. It inspires us, us ourselves. So it always begins with a vision. Then she said this, set shorter achievable goals along the way. So even though actually she was 10 years old when she set this vision, but then she set a number of shorter uh, wins along the way that led her to the Olympics. Then she said, don't lose sight of the dream. The dream itself may provide sufficient motivation for most days, but when times get tough, you need the encouragement and support of other people. And that's what we need to do. Have a shared vision, and then no matter what, encourage each other, because it is so critical. And then finally she says, give your dreams to God. Say that I'll do my best. God, you do what I cannot do. And I think that's what we have to do. That there's, there's a mission that we have. We have to do our best. We have to strive for excellence. But we're going to fall short. Let God do what we cannot do. Look at 1 Timothy 4. First Timothy 4. This is um, Paul speaking to, the, to Timothy. And he says, beginning in verse 6, If you put the remembrance of these things, a, a true doctrine, how they should behave, how they should conduct themselves, if you put your brethren in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's possible to be a bad minister of Jesus Christ. But here's what you have to do to be a good minister of Christ. Nourished up in the words of faith, and of good doctrine, whereunto you have attained. Refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise rather exercise yourself unto godliness. It takes effort. To be best in class, it takes effort. A world-class athlete has to train. A world-class minister has to train. Exercise yourself to godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, 
But godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. These things command and teach, let no man despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. In other words, be best in class. When people look at you, it's not just that they're listening to you, they're actually looking at you, and when they look at you, they see best in class. And that's an example for them to follow. Just as this 10-year-old saw best in class and was inspired herself to go after the gold medal. We need a ministry that's best in class, that's going after eternal life, that inspires you when you see it to be best in class and strive for eternal life. And then let's just finally look at, actually uh, just drop down to verse um, 14. Neglect not the gift that is in you. So again, this per- these gifts come from God. God is a spirit of excellence, so there's excellence in you. Don't neglect this gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy, with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give yourself wholly to them. Not partially. Not in your spare time. Not, not if there's nothing else good on, on, on television. This is your priority. Give yourself wholly to this. Be best in class. That's what this is saying. That your profiting may appear to all. So as you work this spirit that's in you, this spirit of excellence, as you work it, your profiting will be apparent to everybody. And they'll see your example and they'll be inspired by it. Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you shall both save yourself and those that hear you. And we need to be ensuring that we're not just uh, focusing on ourselves, but those that hear us. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. Beginning in verse 24. Don't you know that they which run run in a race, everybody runs. Everybody runs in the race, but one receives the prize. So you run that you may obtain it. So in other words, it's possible to lose. It's possible to lose. We have to realize we're in a race, give ourselves wholly to it so that we can win the prize. Don't set your, like this young, this young lady, Kathy. She set her mind at 10 years old, I'm going for gold. And she did it. I'm going for eternal life. And I need to do it. And inspire others to do the same. So run that you may obtain. And everyone that strives for the mastery to be best in class is temperate in all things. You can't load up on sugar and sweets if you're competing. You have to have that discipline to say, no thanks, I'm competing. So when you have a vision, when you're going for something, you make sacrifices. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, 
so fight I, not as one that beats the air, but I keep, my under, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be cast away. If I'm not best in class, I can preach, but if I'm not best in class, I can ruin myself. And we've had ministers, you know, may God have mercy. I don't know. Did they obtain eternal life? I don't know. I, I do know that they were abusive. They preached the word. They, I heard the truth through them, but I also know they were abusive. That's not best in class. And then we heard the reading by Andrew, 1 Corinthians 12, where it shows us not to be ignorant of the gifts. And it ends by saying, strive, covet earnestly the spiritual gifts. But then I'll show you a more excellent way. And then he goes on in this inset chapter, chapter 13, talking about love. That you cannot be best in class without love. So go after the gifts. Covet the gifts. I thought coveting was wrong. No. Covet earnestly the best gifts. But do it with love. Because if you have these gifts and you have agape, you're going to use your gift to edify the body. So you go after it. And then it says in chapter 14, after the interruption, he continues his thought. 14 verse 1. He says, yes, pursue spiritual gifts and follow the way of love. And the more excellent way is prophecy. Pursue the gift of prophecy. That's the best gift because that edifies the body. So the, the, the pastors and elders, if we pursue this gift, if we're best in class, if we covet earnestly this gift, we can edify the body so that you can be best in class. Okay. So that's the first part of the vision. And it's the ministry saying, we've got to, we've got to start. We've got to be best in class but the buck starts and stops here. We've got to be best in class. The second part of the vision is we must become the safest place. We must become the safest place. People are hurting. People are going through all kinds right now. And when they come into a church, the last thing that they're expecting is to be ruined by the church. We cannot have this. And, and, and brethren, we were talking about it earlier, brethren can be nasty. Even though we're Christians, we're humans. And humans can be nasty. So you, you have somebody who has been abused. They have had a horrible life. God calls them, opens their mind. They find joy in the word of God. They come into a church. And because of carnal nature, they get attacked they are harmed, they're turned off. The place where they should have been safest is the place where they were at risk. We have to stop this, and we have to ensure that this is the safest place. It starts with the ministry. The ministry has to honor the brethren, treat the brethren with respect, and be the far, a far above reproach, nothing near abusive. Here, here are, this is from a book entitled Girl at the End of the World, My Escape from Fundamentalism in Search of Faith with a Future. It's a young lady that grew up, her name's Elizabeth Esther, and she grew up in a fundamentalist church. And she was abused. And she, she got out of it. She now has a family of her own, etc. But she outlines here in a, in a blog post, Top Ten Signs of a Potentially Abusive Church. Number one. 
It's personality-centric. So if a church is built around a personality, watch out. And that's, again, why we have plurality of eldership. CGI is not defined by any one personality. We have multiple elders with different gifts. Don't look to any one person. Look to Jesus Christ. So personality-centric. A pastor who's charming, charismatic, intense, persuasive, and intelligent holds unquestioned sway over his or her congregation. If he's treated like a celebrity, he's not held accountable. He's not held to the same standard of morality as the rest of the congregation. Watch out. So, personality-centric. Operates independently. There's no oversight. Doesn't answer to an established denomination. There's no way for grievances to be filed or addressed. Watch out. So there has to be some sort of accountability. Engulfment. True members of the church devote their whole lives to the church. So you're discouraged from having any other relationships with your family, with friends. You must give everything to the church and be totally engulfed by the church. Watch out. Busyness. There's always mandatory activities that you have to be a part of, and you have to give your time and energy to everything. Uh, Stalking. Big brother type monitoring. Called just keeping each other accountable, just checking in. Uh, where they have to approve your clothing, your daily decisions, they watch your online activity, any of this kind of behavior. Coded uh, coded language. For example, they say in some churches they talk about keeping sweet. So it's language that no one else understands. So keep sweet. And what that means is in a polygamous congregation, it means that women should behave in the church-approved way. That's what keep sweet means. So when you have these coded language, Unrealistic promises. Members of an unhealthy church are often seduced by big talk about all the wealth, blessings, and riches that God will give them if they just devote their lives to the church. So we don't promise you health and wealth and riches. In fact, we say, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Are you up for it? So there's no promise here of unrealistic riches goes on about courting rituals where you can only date based on approval from the ministry. Shunning, if anybody leaves the church, no one else is allowed to talk to them. And the ends justify the means. That spiritually, a spiritually abusive church justifies all kinds of oppressive behavior by saying they only desire to truly serve and love God. We're doing this for Jesus, so it's okay. Look at Jeremiah 3, brethren. Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah 3 and verse 14. Turn, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you, and I will take you one of a city and two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. God is merciful. Yes, we've let him down, but he has made a covenant, and he's faithful to that covenant. Verse 15. And I will give you pastors according to my heart which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. So it is God's will that we have pastors according to his heart. His heart is to give and to bless us and to strengthen us, who will teach us knowledge and understanding. So that's at the pastor level. 
we need to be these pastors that it's safe for you. You're going to get spiritual, spiritual nutrition that's going to help you grow. That's what we have to do. And that's part of having a safe place, that you're not going to be poisoned. You're not going to be uh, seduced into something that robs you of your freedom. And robs you of God, God, Christ said, I came to give them life and to give it to them more abundantly, so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Galatians 5. Now, brethren are also involved in this, the safest place. How can we be the safest place? Galatians 5, verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty, not to oppression, not to abuse. You're called to liberty. Only do not use that liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. So we're, we have an environment of freedom. You're free, but don't abuse your freedom. Use your freedom to edify the body in love. Use your gifts to edify the body. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. In other words, we can destroy each other. So if we go at it, or biting and devouring each other, we make ourselves unfit for the kingdom of God. So the church becomes the most dangerous place in the world for us. Better for us not to be here than to be abusing each other and be thrown in the lake of fire. We need to be here loving each other and helping each other get into God's kingdom. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So this uh, concept of the safest place is the second part of the vision. And I think we're all familiar with the scriptures in 1 John that says... If you say that you love God and hate your brother, you're a liar. It's just, it's not possible. If you love God, then you have the love of God, and God is committed to his people. So you'll have that same commitment to God's people. So that's it. That's it. Very simple, but very hard. But this is the vision. In 2025, We want CGI to be known as having a best-in-class ministry and being the safest place. And it's going to matter. It's going to matter a great deal in 10 years. It matters today. It's going to matter more in 10 years. So we have to work between now and then to get here. And we have to, part of it is changing the narrative. Right now, certainly within the Church of God community, but even broader, if you say Church of God International, First thing people say, Garner Ted. How could you be in that church with Garner? That's Garner Ted, right? And so there's this narrative associated with us which we need to change. That when you say Church of God International, it needs to be, wow, we've heard of you guys. We've seen you on TV or we've seen you on the Internet. Uh, What we hear from you, we've never heard before. When Christ preached the gospel, they said that he preached it not like the scribes and Pharisees, but he spoke with authority. Christ still speaks today. So we should be able to speak in a way that's not like anybody else. That there's an authority that we speak with. That when people compare what, what CGI teaches, if 
Christ is truly working through us, it's going to sound unlike anything else that they've heard. And it's going to matter a great deal in 10 years. And then the safest place, that we're not going to have abusers, that we hold each other to account, and we make sure everybody is looked after and everyone feels safe here. Then secondly, in 10 years, it's going to matter. We need to be prepared. Let's go to this scripture, 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. And verse 15. Actually, let's pick it up and let's put some context around this. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind and have compassion for each other. Love as brethren. Be pitiful. Be courteous. So we should be an organization of people that is courteous, that's pitiful, not rendering evil for evil. That's not the way we operate. You're safe here. You might act in a way that's evil to me, or I might act in a way that's evil to you, but we don't retaliate because this is the safest place. Christians are here. We behave like Christ. He didn't retaliate. Or railing for railing, but on the other hand, contrary-wise, blessing, knowing that this is what you're called to, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you are followers of that which is good? This is going to matter in 10 years. This is going to matter in 10 years. There are going to be people that want to harm us. But who can harm us if we are following the word of God and we're treating each other with love and respect and doing God's will? Then we're totally in God's hands. But, it, but and if, so who, who can harm you? However, if you do suffer for righteousness' sake, then you're blessed. And don't be afraid of their terror. So the terrorists are coming. We don't need to be afraid. Neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So in 10 years, we need a church that is prepared and able to answer and in the face of terror, isn't afraid. And people are asking us, how come you're not afraid? And we can give them the answer. So we have to build this, brethren, together. I'll I'll speak briefly about the strategy. Uh, Just before I do, actually, let me go here. So the strategy. So it's a 10-year vision, but we're going to do it in three-year chunks and then one year. So for the next three years, 2015 to 2017. So for 2015, so we have three focus areas. We're focusing on congregations. And we're focusing on the elders, and we're focusing on the finances. Those are our three focus areas. So for 2015, for the congregations, we want all the congregations to have a sense of mission, to focus, to have a sense of, we're not here to get together, hear a sermon, and have a coffee. We're here to work. And we need all the congregations to have that sense of mission and work. We want to do that in 2015. 
And then we want to develop healthy communities that relate to each other and the ministry according to the word of God. So how should, how should you treat each other? How should we treat the ministry? How should the ministry treat you? Let's just treat each other according to the word of God. That's what we want. In 2.16, we want to develop local leadership in each congregation. And by 2.17, we want to have biblically qualified deacons and elders in each congregation. The biblical model is, is local. It's this idea of a minister you know, managing a congregation 3,000 miles away. The Bible doesn't support that. We, we should be looking for leadership in each congregation and ordaining men into office so that there is that local leadership there. We want to have that in three years, and it's going to be developmental. And, and the resources have to be there. We can't ordain somebody just because we need somebody there. They have to be biblically qualified. Eldership, we want to implement an educational program. So we're good going through the MAP program. So three or four years of training to become a minister, which is better than a lot of other churches where there's nothing, you're just a minister. But once a man becomes an elder, there's no more training. So we need to stop that. We want to put in place ongoing development. And maybe there are certain credits that a minister has to get each year just to make sure that we are growing so that we can bless the congregation. And then we want to implement a full-time evangelism program. We're going to take evangelism seriously. And we want to have somebody in the role full-time as our evangelism coordinator. By two, so establishing that in year one, in year two, we want to have robust program in place for both evangelism and education. And then in year three, we want to have plurality of eldership in every congregation. Financially, we're at about 345. This year, we want to get to 375. Next year, 425. By year three, half a million. And uh, we really believe we become viable at a million dollars. So let's, let's cut out the petty cash mentality and let's really do something serious here and God will provide the, the funding for us. So I'll just talk a bit about culture. I love this, uh, this saying, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So organizations can have great strategies if they have a dysfunctional culture, they won't execute the strategy. Culture is what matters. An organization with a healthy culture, but not so great strategy, will actually outperform the organization that has a great strategy, but a dysfunctional culture. So we want to really focus on culture. And, and to do that, then, we want everyone focused on three core values. We were just reading them in the scriptures. Caring, courtesy, and consideration. The Bible teaches us to care for one another, to be pitiful, to be courteous. So as a Christian, I should never be rude. If Brother Ray calls me, I shouldn't be on the phone saying, oh, it's you, click. That's rude. Christians should be courteous. The scripture tells us, we just read it, be courteous. We want to create a culture that's courteous, that no matter who you are when you come among us, we treat you with respect. And finally, consideration, where we actually put ourselves in the shoes of others. And we consider them. Let's look at uh, Hebrews 10.
Hebrews 10 and verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. So these Hebrews were facing intense persecution, as we will be. We can't waver. We're, we're on to something here. Let's not let go. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke each other to love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So I'll stop here, brethren. Just the final thing on the strategy that I'll mention is we are going to be putting assessments in place. So every minister will do an annually, will, will be evaluated annually. So you'll be receiving a survey asking you, how, is, how are your elders doing? And then the elders will evaluate each other, and then we'll look and see, where, none of us are perfect. Where do we need to improve? Every congregation will also be evaluated. What Burlington needs is very different than what Nanaimo needs, than what Kitchener needs or Ottawa. So each congregation, we need to understand where are they now, where do they need help. And then we work together with the local leadership to develop each congregation. So we're going to have a very, very focused strategy uh, every year. So let me conclude by saying this. Some, some major doors are opening for us. We have just been so blessed, and we've been working really hard trying to come up with all of this and, and focus on where do we want to get to. And we're just seeing God's hand in everything. It's amazing how things have just opened up for us to make all of this happen. So beginning this year, you're going to start seeing the fruit of our labor and the fruit of having a focus. What we're asking from you is to be empowered. To be empowered. You have the Holy Spirit of God. The creator of the universe has given you his Holy Spirit. Surely that means something. Yeah, I, think, I really think we got it. I was blessed tremendously by the worldwide church of God. So I, I really, I, I have nothing but, I shouldn't say nothing but good, but I have a lot of respect for the worldwide church of God. But all of these derivative organizations that have come out of worldwide have suffered from the same misinterpretation of the scriptures, where it was all about the ministry doing everything and the members being passive. When we read the scriptures, that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures say that you are to be empowered people. So we need you to help us achieve this vision. Best in class, the safest place, we need you to participate in this. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.